You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. Good morning. Let, uh, let's pray. Let's pray. As, as we prepare our hearts to pray, I just want to remind you of uh, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20, chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Just let this settle on your heart before you pray. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. So let's go to before the throne of our great God and King. Let's pray that he will do the thing that he is capable of doing, and that is that he'll prepare our hearts for his word, that he'll give us ears to hear, and that, uh, that, he'll, do, that he'll do a work in our lives. Let's, let's go before the Lord in prayer. God, we come before you. We know, we know that you can do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. God, you know what we need more than what we, more than what we know or think that we need. You know the thing that we need most. And so, God, I ask that you will do that today. That you will speak into our hearts. That you will overwhelm us with your Holy Spirit in a way that will it not only leaves us undone, but in a way that molds and shapes us into more into the image that you, that you want for us, more into the image of your Son. God, that you will do that today. All the noise, the distractions, the disappointments, the resentments that, the, that are all represented in this room, the, the, whatever it is, God, that all those just would just, just would quiet down, that you would just dissolve those things in our minds and our hearts so that we can hear from you. So have your way with us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I was thinking about these verses and verses, really our focus is going to be on verses 13 through 14, my prayer for you and my prayer for myself has been all throughout the week is that, God, that you will do the thing that you are capable of doing in our lives. <clears throat> One of the things that I am praying, I've been praying for and I'm hoping for this morning is that the, myself included, that you will be overwhelmed by, by this great work that God is doing in your life, that he has done, that he will do in your life, that you'll be overwhelmed by that, that you'll get a true sense of, of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be known by this God who chose you before the foundation of the world, the one who redeemed you in his son, Jesus Christ, and the one that we'll look at today, the, uh, the one who has sealed us in, in his Holy Spirit or, and through his Holy Spirit, that you'll get a true sense of your identity in, in Christ. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer. That's been my prayer for myself. But before we can plunge the depths of verses 13 and 14 of Ephesians chapter 1, we've got to know something about the Holy Spirit. Now, my guess is that for most of you in this room, it, this will be uh, a part of the sermon, will be kind of more of a review, uh, but it's good for us to be reminded of who the Holy Spirit is. He's not a force. 
He's not some character trait of, of God. He is God. That God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And I just want to unpack that for you. I want, to, I want you to feel the weight of verses 13 through, through 14. And we're, we're, by doing that, we're just going to take a journey through the Scriptures. Just, a, just a, a quick journey, a jaunt through the Scriptures to discover who the Holy Spirit is. The first place that we're introduced to the Holy Spirit is in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was a formless and desolate emptiness, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of, of the waters. The word for spirit that's used in, in the Hebrew word is ruach, which is, which is used throughout the Old Testament. And every time it's used in connection with God, Elohim or Yahweh, you know, the names of God, it, it is referring to the Holy Spirit. Where we come across uh, the Holy Spirit again in, in, in another passage, Ezekiel chapter 36, which we looked at last week, where God promised, and I will put my spirit within you, and I will bring it about that you walk in my statutes, and you are careful to follow my ordinances, or my ways, or my commandments. Of the Holy Spirit, we discover that he is the giver of life. He raised uh, he, he created creation, right? He was part of, the crea part of creation in Genesis chapter 1. He gave life to, to, to or he enabled the, the conception of Jesus in Mary's womb. He raised Jesus from the grave on the third day. And he'll give life to our mortal bodies one day through a resurrection. We'll experience a similar resurrection to the one that Jesus experienced. As the giver of life, as I said, he caused Mary to conceive with the incarnation of Jesus. The Holy Spirit anointed Jesus as he performed, uh, before he performed any miracles at, at his baptism. In Matthew chapter 3, we read about it where God the Father, the Son being baptized, and the Holy Spirit are all present there. After he was baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the waters, and behold, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and settling on him. And behold, a voice from heaven, uh, from the heavens that said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Throughout the Bible, we discover that the Holy Spirit sustains and empowers his people, the people of God, to do the works of God. We see that in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. The Holy Spirit indwelled and led Israel out of the slavery of Egypt. And I, I'd invite you, like this week, you can download my manuscript. I have all the scripture references to all of this. We just don't have time to look at all of them this morning. The Holy Spirit empowered Israel's judges after they entered into the promised land, and he anointed uh, Israel's kings to lead uh, God's nation, Israel. From the beginning, God's plan was to do the same, not just you know, with a select few individuals like the judges in Israel and the kings of Israel, but to do it with all of his people that he would empower them uh, with his spirit. In Joel chapter 2, which Peter quoted at the, on the day of Pentecost, we read these words, it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your old men will have dreams, your young men will see visions and even on the male and female servants I will pour out my spirit in those days. That promise is for you and it's also for me. It's for the church. 
God's promise from the beginning was that a deliverer would come, and through that deliverer, the promise of the Holy Spirit would, would, would be made available. We learn of that Redeemer. You know who he is, Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we read these words. Let's, let's read this together. Ready? For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, who was preached among you, was not yes and no, but has been yes in him. For as many as the promises of God are, in him they are yes. Therefore, through him also is our amen to the glory of God through us. Meaning, Jesus is the yes to God, all of God's promises. In, in other words, there, there is no pouring out of the Holy Spirit apart from the forgiveness of our wrongdoings according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in Christ. That's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, which we've been looking at these, these past weeks. Against the backdrop of all of that, I, I want you to hear now Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. In him... In Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is a first installment of our inheritance in regard to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. Brothers and sisters, if you are a Christian in this room, you have received the Holy Spirit when you placed your faith and trust in him. All of the resurrection power that raised Jesus from the grave is in you. It's in me. Hey, Jesus, Jesus promised us that. He, he, in, in John chapter 14, hours before he would be betrayed and, and crucified on a cross, he said, I will ask my Father and he will give you another helper, speaking of the Holy Spirit, so that he may be with you forever. The helper is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not, listen to this, this is so, so critical. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you after a little while, the world will, no longer is going to see me, but you are going to see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I in you. Do you know what he's talking about here? Because like, hours, hours, a matter of hours after he made this statement, he would be crucified. He would be then buried in a tomb. On the third day, he would rise from the grave. He would tell his disciples, wait in Jerusalem. And then he would descend in, uh, into the heavens. And he, would tell, and he would tell his disciples, I am going to pour out the Holy Spirit upon you and you will receive power. That's what he's talking about here. He's not telling them, look, I'm going to hang out with you for the rest of your, your earthly lives. But I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Why am I, how am I not going to leave you as orphans? Because the helper is coming. The, the helper is coming. The Holy Spirit. In cha John chapter 16, Jesus said, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Friends, that is for you and that's for me. Like that promise is for us. It's for the church. It's for the church. 
When Ananias and Sapphira lied to Peter in Acts chapter 5, Peter said to Ananias, if you're wondering, like, who is the Holy Spirit? Where is the proof that he's, not, that he's just not some force? When Ananias lied to Peter about what was given to the church, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the proceeds from the land? You have not lied to men, but to God. Like the Holy Spirit is not, a, not some simple power. He's not some force. Not some character, tra- character trait of God. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is, listen, he is God. God is triune. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You reject that, you are not a Christian. As God, the Holy Spirit can be everywhere at once. These are, I have all the scripture references to this. He is all-knowing. He can, he can also be blasphemed. Remember, Jesus said, to, he said of, of the rejection of the Pharisees regarding the work of Jesus the Christ, he said there, is no, there, 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 are, there are sins that are forgivable, but the one sin that is unforgivable is, blaspheming, is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Well, what is that? That is the sin of unbelief, is rejecting Christ. That is to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. How, how does that work? Because the Holy Spirit is the giver of life. We looked at that, like last week. Like, what, what does the Holy Spirit make possible in you? Life. This is why Ephesians chapter 2, at the beginning, it says, in verse 1, it says, you were dead in your sins and your trespasses. They, how dead is dead? Dead, right? It's dead. Like, you can't be any more dead than dead. And in Ephesians chapter 2, we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. But God, verse 4, made us alive together in Christ Jesus. How did he do it? He generated your dead soul and made it alive in Christ. That's how he did it. That's John chapter 3, Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. And, And like the Father and like the Son, the Holy Spirit can be grieved by the way we live our lives and how we treat one another. That's Ephesians chapter 4 and 5. We'll get we'll get there eventually. The Holy Spirit is not some awkward member of the Trinity. (laughs) He is equal to the Father as he is equal to the Son because he is also fully God. In his book, Simple Trinity, a book I would commend to you, Matthew Barrett put it this way, the Father does not exist without his Son, the Son does not exist without his Father, and the Spirit does not exist without the Father and the Son. (laughs) Here's another one for you. The Trinity... That is, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's not one-third God, <laughs> like, like and, and the Father, you know, it's not one-third the Father, not one-third the Son, and not one-third the Holy Spirit. They're all equally God in three persons. I don't have time to get into that today. That's a, that's a course that I'm, I'll be writing for Meadowbrook, you know, for the evening hours. But it's the truth. What we see in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, is a father who orchestrated our redemption, a Jesus who, sent, who was sent from the Father to purchase our redemption, and the Spirit sent by both the Father and the Son to secure and preserve our redemption. That's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. That's why Paul, in these 14 verses, is one run-on sentence in the Greek. It's one stream of thought. It is the foundation of the rest of Ephesians. 
And so, how ha- so I, I have like two very brief points. How is the Holy Spirit preserving your salvation? That's, now we're in verses 13 and 14. How is the Holy Spirit preserving your salvation? Hey, he says, in Him, after listening to the gospel you, and, and believing in the gospel, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of, of the promise. In Him, that is God. You also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed and you were sealed. You were sealed. To be sealed in the Holy Spirit simply means this, that you are secure. You are secure. This is where I get, you can't lose your salvation. Guess what? The only one who has the authority to remove that seal from you is God Almighty. And what has he promised? I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. And when he seals you, it is because he made you alive. He made you alive. I am secure in Jesus, and now I belong to God as his child, and the only one who has the authority to remove the Holy Spirit from me is the God who chose me in Jesus. This is true for every single one of you who have placed your faith and trust in Jesus. Because, because he sealed me, now, I, I, I'm chosen in him that, uh, that the one who sealed me purchased my redemption through the blood of Jesus. The one who sealed me because of the blood of Jesus secured for me a forgiveness of all my wrongdoings, past, present, and future, all of my sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on me. That's Ephesians 1, verses 7 and 8. I am sealed because in Jesus I have obtained an inheritance by God's sovereign decree to make me his son, to make you his daughter, his son, before the foundation of the rest of creation was even laid, before God invented dirt, he set his affection upon you. And the guarantee that I am sealed by the preserving power of of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is all-powerful, he's all-knowing, and he's all-pervasive. And he is sealing me, and he's sealing you. If you are a genuine Christian, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, not just head knowledge, but it has awakened and enlivened your dead soul to the point that you are moving progressively closer to holiness and blamelessness, you are alive in Christ. Because, and, and, and the Holy Spirit is the seal and guarantee that the work that God has begun in you, he will complete it, Right? And the moment that you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, you were baptized. You not only were sealed by the Holy Spirit, you were baptized by the Holy Spirit. But what is baptism of the Holy Spirit? That's Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart so that you can know him and that you can love him and you can obey him. It's Ezekiel 36 that the Lord your God will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh so that you can obey him and, lo- and, 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 and love him and follow him. I mean, that's the implications of, of, of those promises. The supernatural phenomenon that happens with the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that you are now able to respond to God in love and faith in a way that you were unable to previously. <laughs> Which leads me to this, this thing that's been in my head for for like weeks now, and, I, and I, I feel like if I don't, I believe if I don't say it, I will be acting in disobedience. And it is this, I don't know who needs to hear this, 
But you, but you need to hear it. The Holy Spirit cannot be manipulated. He is God. You can't create some recipe and couch it in religious language expecting that if you do A, B, and C, he's going to do you know, D, E, and F. That, that, is, that is error to think that way. God is God, and there is no other, and you cannot, you cannot manipulate him. He cannot be manipulated by cheap, cheap tricks or recipes couched in religious language. He is God and nothing less. I was thinking of Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 through 10, and at the end of the sermon, before the worship team comes up later on, I'm going to try this with you, but just through my studies in Ephesians, these first 14 verses, I've been haunted in a good way by Isaiah 46, verses 9 through 10, which says this. Let's read this together. Ready? I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times things which have not been done, saying my plan will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. You, you, you hear the echoes of that verse or those verses in Ephesians chapter 1, those first 14 verses? Like you you want to know why? He chooses. You want to know why he predestines? You want to know why he takes what is dead and makes it alive? Do you want to know why he does what he does? Because he is God and there is no other. He does what only God is capable of doing and more. And his plan will be established and he will accomplish all of his good pleasure. Like he declares the end from the beginning because he is infinitely sovereign. And what is he doing from beginning to end and beyond is what he is accomplishing for all of his good pleasure. And listen, and what he is doing in you, brothers and sisters, is for his good pleasure and for your good. His good pleasure includes sealing you with his Holy Spirit, which is a first installment. Literally, it's a down payment. It's, I'm guaranteeing that I am doing this in you, and I'm guaranteeing I'm going to complete it. That's what, I, that's what the sealing of the Holy Spirit means. I'm going to complete this work in you. I'm going to do what only I am capable of doing in your life, Christian. If you are a Christian, the inheritance that we are sealed for includes the reality that today you are this. You are a son. This is all from Ephesians chapter 1. You are a son. You are a daughter of Almighty God that you are forgiven, that you are a new creation in Christ, that you have a glorious inheritance waiting for you that will never fade with time, can never be destroyed, and will forever be untouched and unstained by sin. That's what it means to be sealed by the Holy Spirit. That, that's what's waiting for you. That's what's waiting for me. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit guarantees that your inheritance includes these three things, that all things will be made new, that all things are for your good, and that all things are for God's glory. Amen? I mean, think for a moment what, what that means. Like, in light of all that we have considered in Ephesians chapter 1, think about what that means. Like, why has God blessed the Christian with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ? Because he is God. There is no one like him. 
He will establish his plan and will accomplish all his good pleasure. That's why. Why did God choose you before the foundation of the world? Because he is God. There is no one like him. He will, uh, he will establish his plan. He will accomplish all his good pleasure. Why did God predestine you for redemption through his son that was only possible through the shed blood of Jesus Christ? Because he is God, and there is no other like him. He will establish his plan, and he will accomplish all of his good pleasure. And the object of, your, of his good pleasure is you, <laughs> Meadowbrook. It's me. It's, it's all the redeemed, all those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's Michaela last night. I, we, a group of us in, with, um, in partnership of Cheyenne Hills, we, we hosted Night to Shine. And, uh, and I was asked to share the gospel. And so, you know, these are all special needs people that were there and they were being celebrated and it was beautiful. It was so beautiful. And, uh, and so I just was asked to share the gospel and you know I could be long-winded so I'm like I really had to fight hard to keep it to five minutes. I was nervous about, about going beyond five minutes. I just wanted it to be simple and understood. I had three, three, of, three people, three of them waiting for me afterwards. Michaela came up to me not our Michaela, a uh, different Michaela that was a- attending the night to shine. I think she has Down syndrome. And she came up to me and she said, I want Jesus. Can you tell me how I can have Jesus? And so we walked out in the hallway and we just started talking. And, and I don't normally lead people in a prayer uh, you know, for salvation, cause, but I, I just felt like you know, I needed to, to guide her. And oh my gosh, could, if you could see... If you, if the hunger in her eyes and the joy in her heart. Like these promises in Isaiah chapter 1 are for Michaela. And they're for you. Why did God you know, seal you with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee for a, an inheritance that we did not deserve? Because he is God and there is no other like him. He will establish his plan. He will accomplish all of his good pleasure. According to Ephesians verses 1 through 14, you have all of God's love. Listen to this. You have all of God's love that, that you will ever need. You have all of the redemption in Jesus Christ that you will ever need. You cannot add to it. You cannot take away what Christ did on the cross. You have all of, your, all of the redemption you will ever need. And listen, you so need to hear this. You have all of the Holy Spirit you will ever need. You cannot get more of the Holy Spirit. The question that's facing each and every one of us in this room and watching the live stream, live stream today is this. How much of you does the Holy Spirit have? You cannot manipulate the Holy Spirit. You cannot expect the Holy Spirit to, to, to show up because we sing some song with some beat to it or have some words to it, that that somehow invites him into the room. What invites him into your life in terms of you experiencing all the Holy Spirit that you already have is the way you live your life. Like if you're, if, if you're not listening to him, 
If you're, if you're walking out a step of the Spirit, if you're living in sin, blatant sin, how in the world could you ever expect the Holy Spirit to show up in your life in the way that you experience Him, in the way that we read about Him in the Scriptures? So the question that, that we're faced with, and I'm not pointing my finger at anybody here. I'm just speaking to my own heart. In these first 14 verses, how much of your heart, how much of your love does God have? How much of your loyalty does Jesus have? How much of your life does the Holy Spirit have? Those are the questions that should haunt us in this room. Like, like, like the Sermon on the Mount series. Last year, when we were journeying through the Sermon on the Mount together, like 36 weeks, um, do the math. Um, Ephesians is longer. So. Um, but for 36, 36 weeks, we were contemplating, like, what, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Uh, and he said, like, at the end of that sermon, he said, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we taught Sunday school in your name. We preached sermons in your name. We sang songs in your name. We hosted Bible studies in your name. We visited the poor in your name. And I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. That's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And I said in that sermon, I said, the, the difference between being a cultural Christian or just showing up in church and just ha knowing some facts about Jesus and the difference of being a true follower of Jesus Christ is in the kind of knowing that you know him. Do you mentally know him or do you gnosko him? That's, that's the experiential knowledge. That is a fuller knowledge. It's the same word that's used of Abraham when he knew Sarah as his wife. Do you know him in the power of his, uh, of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings? Are you walking with him in that way? That kind of knowing. That when he says, go, you go. When he says, stop, you stop. Like, do you know him in that way? Because the evidence that you have gone from death to life is, a, is at the very least a love for him and a desire to follow him. And so, those three questions, how much of your love does God have? How much of your loyalty does Jesus have? How much of your life does the, does the Holy Spirit have of you? Consider the, these two verses from Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 4, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In the context of, of that verse is how we treat one another. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Or chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. I'll just read one verse out of that. Be careful how you walk not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days 
are evil, but be filled with the Spirit. Filling, filling is something that happens as you are walking in step with the Lord. Filling of the Holy Spirit is where you experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Filling of the Holy Spirit happens as you, as you follow and seek this God that you love to, to know him more. Filling of the Holy Spirit happens as you, are, as you are leaning into Jesus Christ as the only means for your redemption and, being, and, and remaining loyal to him and seeking to follow him. Filling of the Holy Spirit happens when you yield your life to him. You have all the Holy Spirit you ever need. Filling comes is when he has more of you. And so when the Spirit has all of you, then you will be able to, you'll begin to experience the kind of manipulation that only he can do in your life. And the kind of manipulation I'm talking about is the kind of, that, that, that takes place with the shaping of clay. It's the kind that takes place when a gardener comes and he prunes the dead branches from your life. It's the kind that comes where God applies his fire to burn the dross out of your life. Dear Christian, your sin and unbelief is robbing you of the kind of life that God intends for you. How long will you hold back the sin that is sucking the joy out from the life that God has purposed for you as his son, as his daughter. I want us to stand. I want to do something a little different before we sing this song. I want to do something that's known as responsive reading. Some of you will, will know, you know, be familiar with this. Others of you will not. But the way this, this works is I'm going to read Isaiah 46, 9 through 11, and all I want you to do is to listen. And then you'll see congregation and the verses that, that I want you as a congregation to sing, to, to read only if you believe them. But if you believe them, read them like you believe them. And there will be three, three parts to this. And you'll see how they fit together as we read them together. And so, let's begin. I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, my plan will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Now your turn. I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying, my plan will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Your turn.
I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying my plan will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. So I don't know what's going on in your life, but we're going to sing the song that we started our service with. And so if that means, if, that, if this song is a time for you to repent of whatever it is that you need to repent of, or, you know, I don't normally do altar calls, but if you feel the need to come forward and just, and, and just to pray um, and just to lay it down in a visible way before him, whatever it is you need to do, or just to sing this song in celebration of, of the liberty that you are experiencing today, whatever it is that you need to do, this is our, our time to respond to his word. Um, Respond in however way that you see fit. Let's close with this song. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.